Hi, I'm Penelope Sanchez. My mom is Yvonne. And she's recording at home with me. And she's recording at home with me. So her show is going to sound different. So her show is going to sound different. But that's okay. It will help keep everyone safe. But that's okay. It will help keep everybody safe. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye. I love you. This episode of The Gaggle is part of an ongoing series about the different congressional districts across Arizona. We talked to everyone in this episode before the coronavirus pandemic hit. The landscape in Arizona is changing. So is its political climate. For decades, Arizona had a reputation as being a conservative haven. It introduced the country to politicians like Barry Goldwater and John McCain and hardliners like Jan Brewer and Joe Arpaio. But Arizona's population continues to grow. And the influx of new residents is changing our state's politics. With the ever-changing landscape of Arizona's electorate, our state is looking more like one of those battleground states that presidential candidates will covet. Once a reliably red state, Arizona has become increasingly purple. In fact, NBC News named Arizona one of the top three states to watch during the upcoming election. 2020 could invite another blue wave in Arizona. While Republicans still outnumber Democrats in the state, recent polls indicate the potential for a shift to the left. I'm Yvonne Winget Sanchez, a national political reporter for the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. And I'm Ron Hansen, also a national political reporter for the Republic. As hosts of The Gaggle, an Arizona politics podcast, we're really curious about how the purple trend in Arizona is playing out across the state. What issues are most important to voters in each congressional district? What are their thoughts on the upcoming election? To find out, we're visiting each of the state's nine congressional districts. And over the next few months, you'll hear from voters across the state before they cast their votes. Today, we're making our way down to southwestern Arizona's Congressional District 3. It's home to border towns like Nogales and Yuma, as well as the University of Arizona in Tucson. The district encompasses most of Arizona's border with Mexico. The majority of its population lives around the greater Tucson area. Like the last district we covered, Phoenix's District 7, it's a very young district. Representing this district is Democrat Raul Grijalva. He's been in Congress since 2002, making him the dean of the state's congressional delegation. He's chairman of the House Natural Resources Committee, which has key oversight of the nation's environment. And he's also one of the most liberal members of the House of Representatives. He's also a leading figure in the Congressional Hispanic Caucus. And it's also worth noting the House Ethics Committee said it was looking into a years-old allegation that Grijalva created a hostile work environment. The nine-term congressman is still waiting on a decision from that committee. We asked him if there was any word on when he could see a decision come out. We harass the committee at least once a week because, uh, you know, it was going to be January. Now it's going to be March or February uh, for the final. I'm, I'm, I'm very confident it's going to be good. I want it out now rather than later because uh, the more it lingers, the more it becomes uh, the issue. He went on to say he wants the findings to be made public, to just let it out. We're real confident about it. And, and, and the sooner, the better. 
In the meantime, Grijalva continues to fight for issues like immigration. He's been arrested twice during protests connected to that issue, which is a subject central to his constituents, too. Grijalva doesn't shy away from making his voice heard. This is how he made an impression on Jesse Morales. We asked him what he thought about Grijalva, and this is what he said. Um, I think the last thing that I saw was when he got arrested. Since you have refused to leave the roadway, you will be placed under arrest on the charge of disorderly conduct. He's talking about that time when Representative Grijalva was arrested outside of Trump Tower in New York City. It was at a DACA rally in 2017 after President Trump announced ending protections for undocumented immigrants brought to the United States as children. I support his, uh, what he does, so I do think highly of it, especially that he's go- willing to go the route to um, get arrested over it. This wasn't the first time Grijalva had been arrested. Previously in 2013, during a protest for immigration reform, he was arrested for civil disobedience. He spoke about how in his district, it's a major concern of his. There's a specific issues that, 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 that are historic in the, in the district. Uh, the issues around uh, immigration, those have not gone away. And, and, and the district I represent has been at the point of the spear, not only in Arizona, but nationally whether it's the wall, whether it's the separation of families, whether it's the detention facilities, whether it is the refuge asylum uh, decision this administration has made, they've been at the point of the spear. A constant flow of cross-border traffic also impacts Nogales and Tucson in other ways. Jesse has lived in Tucson his whole life. The 28-year-old has seen how citizens from Nogales, Sonora, impact the economy in Tucson. I think it helps just because people do travel here to, to buy things, things that they can't get there. And I, I know that it works to some, some degree both ways. Um, so having any sort of disruption there, I, I can't imagine would be good for the, either economy. And closer to home, Tomas Martinez is 34 years old and is a licensed funeral director in Nogales, Arizona. He fears that a negative reputation will discourage people from visiting Nogales and Santa Cruz County. I think that the secret should go out how beautiful our region is. Uh, we have some of the most beautiful, you know, uh, culture here being on the border. We also have beautiful um, outdoors area. While immigration and border policies were concerns for some residents in District 3, others were really worried about education and labor. Lucky for those constituents, Grijalva serves on the Education and Labor Committees in the U.S. House of Representatives. Let's break down both issues, starting with education. It's a younger district, a lot of babies. And as such, there's families and, and parents, be, be, be they dual parents or single parents, uh, see the, the educational system as it. And, 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 and frustrated by the fact that uh, the support isn't happening there. For Tomas, because his mother is a kindergarten teacher, education is at the top of his list. He sees how educators struggle to get by. Teachers are just not supported enough. You know, they they have very modest um, salaries compared to other state workers, I think. He said that teachers are taking care of our future and they put in the extra time to help their students. 
when the bell rings and it's time to go home that these teachers are still uh, staying behind helping kids who need to be tutored or kids who aren't picked up right away. They're also there to be a part of extracurricular activities and then taking that homework home, grading it, making sure that the credentials are there. We also met Belia Vasquez at a small park in Nogales. She's not a citizen and she can't vote, but she's lived in the area for more than 40 years. She also echoed that education should be at the top of the list for Grijalva to tackle. Ponerle más énfasis en la educación, más programas para que puedan seguir sus estudios, que enfocarse más en el estudio. She said she wants more programs so that children can continue their studies and to focus on their education. And it's not just K-12 education. Higher education is also a big concern within this district because it's home to the University of Arizona. Jesse Morales had student loan forgiveness at the top of his list, and he said he doesn't have a lot of debt, but he knows this could help other people too. But I know that for a lot of people, it, it's a barrier rather than something that they deal with later. For the 28-year-old, he thinks that if this is an option, more people would be willing to give higher education a chance. Well, it would help um, educate younger people, which in turn should create better people for uh, discovering new things, inventing new things. Just more educated people should create a better society. During our interview with Grijalva, he also pointed out this was a priority of his, too. In Congress, it's about passing legislation we, we have to enhance, make bigger investments in. It goes to the abyss, which is the Senate, and it never sees the light of day. For now, he sees the work he does in the House as paving the road for the future. Now, let's turn to the second part of the committee, labor. The district has below average income. We met Laura Espinosa, who was finishing up her grocery shopping outside of a food city. We asked her what was at the top of her mind issue-wise for the moment. Money. <laughs> money is like, everybody's hurting for money right now. And um, it's hard. The rents are going up and income's going up, but not as much. She said that being on a fixed income, most of her money goes to rent. And she isn't the only one who talked about how being on a fixed income is hard. Outside of a local coffee shop next to the University of Arizona, we talked with PhD student and instructor Tim Curl. He pointed to how last year he found himself at a financial rock bottom. After Trump's, well, the Republican-led tax reform, it was the first time in my life that I owed the government money. Uh, and, uh, which, you know, is itself not that big of a deal, I guess. But as grad students, we make like 15 grand a year, and I owed the government like $650 in taxes. Because he makes 15 grand a year, he said there isn't much opportunity for him to save. And being asked to pay back the government a whole paycheck's worth was really hard for him to come up with. I mean, this is a very gut reaction, but like whatever changes were made to the tax code, if the result is that people who make 15 grand a year now owe the government uh, more than $500, whatever, it's a bad change. Tim is a registered independent and has only lived in Tucson for the past five years. He told us that he's leaning more to the left this election cycle. He also hopes to see the minimum wage rise to what he called a federally acceptable baseline standard of living. He lives west of the university and sees a homeless population that's struggling every day. 
There are a lot of people that have just like been hard up for a long time and it seems like there are no good options, like no outreach to help them. Laura, who we met outside of Food City, had similar feelings. And there's a lot of people that are homeless, that need places to live. And it's really sad because you would think, you know, the government or even the the city of Tucson, whoever is controlling it, will do something to to help, you know? It's really sad that, you know, there's a lot of homeless people. She went on to say she wished to have more housing options for people experiencing homelessness and those with low incomes. There was another issue that Grijalva mentioned, the environment. And a big issue in the district is climate change, public lands, water, uh, and and public health issues associated with all those. Although he mentioned this as a top issue for him, our producer couldn't find many people who shared the same level of concern that he had. You know, obviously our natural resources do need to be protected. Uh, I could see where that would be an issue. Luckily, Santa Cruz County um, itself is blessed in the fact that we do have a great water source being the Santa Cruz River. I would say that issue, speaking of water, would uh, affect more like Phoenix. Others we spoke to acknowledged it was a big deal, but they had other priorities at the top of their minds. So those are the top issues in District 3, immigration, education, and labor, as well as affordability. Given those agenda items, how will District 3 vote in 2020? Well, the CD3 is a reliably blue district with far more registered Democrats than Republicans. And the people our producer talked to didn't seem to identify with any candidates especially strongly. Whether or not they'd voted for someone seemed more reliant on how they felt about certain issues, not the candidate themselves. Here's Lara Espinosa again. I really don't get into politics. Uh, I'm not, I don't get into politics. I, I do vote and stuff. Um, but I'm not really into politics. It just makes me really sad. On the other hand, Jesse, a registered Democrat, has voted for him in the past and plans to vote for him again. He was a fan of Senator Bernie Sanders, but still plans to vote Democrat in the presidential election. As for the Senate race? Well, I didn't vote for Martha McSally in the last um, Senate, so I can't imagine, I don't find myself voting for her in this one. He plans to look more into Mark Kelly's policies before committing to vote for him. So, Ron, you've been covering CD3 for a number of years, a number of cycles. Give us a quick rundown of the voting history in this district. Yeah, so this is one of the more reliably Democratic districts in Arizona. The fact is that uh, Donald Trump lost in CD3 by nearly 30 percentage points in 2016. Raul Grijalva was not even opposed in that cycle. And in 2018, he faced really kind of nominal opposition by Republicans there. Uh, this is a, a district where, frankly, Democrats know they're going to win. The only real suspense is by how much. And it's that turnout part of the equation that will help decide how well Democrats like Mark Kelly do at the top of the ticket, um, just because turnout could be, uh, you know, somewhat on the lower side because people know who's going to win, for example, when their house race is up. 
When we talked with the congressman, he came across as though he really wanted to put this, you know, kind of long-standing ethics investigation behind him once and for all. He wants this thing over with. It's obviously dogged him for for years. Uh, why is he so eager to 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 get it out there and be done with it? Well, from his perspective, the biggest reason is because he doesn't think he did anything wrong. So this, I think the important thing with this is that you have to remember this came up at pretty much the height of the Me Too um, movement when this was really sort of a big thing happening all over the country and throughout Congress. This is on the heels of the Al Franken case in the Senate. And his case, to be very clear, did not involve any allegations of sexual misconduct by him. But his concern then, and I imagine even now, is that people think he did something more wrong than what he actually did do. Uh, that He maintains he did nothing wrong, and he wants his name cleared. So the investigation came up uh, by Grijalva's opponent during the last cycle in 2018, does it really bear any weight, do you think, on how voters feel about him? It didn't seem to make much of a difference last cycle. Yeah, I don't think this has gotten much political traction. Again, this is someone who is very well known in his district. Uh, Raul Grijalva has been an activist for decades in that part of the state and has a pretty deep reservoir of uh, goodwill among a lot of folks in a lot of different camps there. And the way his district is drawn up, again, there's just not much political suspense. And he hasn't drawn a Democratic challenger who might try and make you know the case that we need somebody better on the left for this either. So again, I think he's pretty safe. And let's not forget, he chairs the House Natural Resources Committee. This is a position that can help bring at least some uh, extra value to Arizonans, certainly concern for things like the Grand Canyon and also Native American tribal lands. Uh, this is somebody who's pretty well plugged into his district. And stature in Washington, D.C. really matters, particularly when it comes to chairing a committee, elevating issues, bringing home money. What would it mean to lose someone of his stature? Yeah, that would be a pretty tough blow for a lot of folks in his district, I imagine. Remember, Grijalva has been there now for 18 years. This is somebody who has relationships with, you know, everybody in Congress and especially on the Democratic side where they're now in the majority. So that would be, you know, a real setback. He has a, a good working relationship with Ann Kirkpatrick, who also represents part of Tucson. She's on the Appropriations Committee. He has a productive relationship with Speaker Nancy Pelosi. So these are folks that you, you can't just take him out of the equation and drop anybody else in there and expect to get results. So this is something that voters in his district would have to, you know, take into account if they wanted to make a change. But really, there's no indication they do. All right, that's it for today, Gaggle listeners. Thank you so much for listening to our special episode on Congressional District 3. We'll be visiting each congressional district throughout the state leading up to the election. Audio in today's episode came from 12 News, Arizona Public Media, and The Washington Post. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you don't miss a single episode. While we still have you, 
Please don't forget to rate and review our show and share it with a friend. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. And I'm at Yvonne Winget. Today's episode was edited and produced by Maritza Dominguez with oversight by Katie O'Connell. Thanks so much for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. We'll see you next week.